Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Blau. Today we have Dominic Kearns as your co-host and special guest, Kevin, uh, uh, special guest Rob Ashpole. We also might uh, get Kevin Gates back on the line. He came and joined us for just a couple minutes before the uh, before the show started, so we'll see uh, if he's able to join us join us again here. Uh, first off, before we get started, we do want to mention uh, that uh, as a result of what happened yesterday um, in El Paso, we want to just express our condolences to all the El Paso supporters who are out there. Uh, they are coming to visit us next week in a, in a home match. There is a plan for some TIFO going on with the Red Fury. I don't, I haven't heard anything from Banditos. If you are interested in getting involved in painting a TIFO uh, or in, in some other show of support for the El Paso supporters, that would be a really, really great show of support from our Phoenix Rising fans out there. Um, Dominic, tell me, uh, give me, a, give me a couple thoughts. Tell me uh, what's going through your mind uh, as the soccer community rallies around El Paso. You really hate to see an event happen like that, not just in El Paso, but also in Dayton, which is another community with deep soccer roots. Uh, no current team in the USL, but a lot of history there. Um, so it's extremely tough to see these mass shootings that have happened everywhere, but they impact two communities with rich soccer history. And one of them comes to Phoenix next week. Um, it sounds like Red Fury is already going to be doing a TIFO. It, we should just be as supportive as possible as fans, whether that's donating to um, an El Paso Youth Soccer Fund, um, whether it's donating to a fund to help the victims, the families of the victims, you know, anything you can do to lend your support in these trying times is amazing. Uh, and if you feel passionate about the issue, you know, that's a whole other conversation, but then you can talk to Congress people and try to do something there. Uh, it, it's just, it's just awful. Obviously the El Paso home match against Timbers two was postponed and that's really the last thing on everyone's mind. So, you know, let's just try to tone down the banter and tone up the good sportsmanship next week. So Dominic is calling for the hashtag El Paso Love Week in opposition to Orange County Hate Week. I think that that sounds like a really good and appropriate plan uh, uh, for us to be able to show some love and support to our, our fellow soccer fans out there. So that's great. Um, all right, let's absolutely let's go ahead and uh, get in the match here just a little bit. And uh, here we have uh, our starting lineup against LA Galaxy Two. Uh, we do see two changes. We see Mala come out in favor of A.J. Cochran, and we see uh, John Baccaro come out in favor of Kevon Lambert. Uh, the rest of the team filling filling out the, the squad is Lubin Dumbuya, Dia, Farrell, Musa, Aguinaga, uh, John, Asante, and Flemings. On the bench, we have Carl Wazinski, Kyle Bjornson, Austin Ledbetter, Doichi Mala, John Baccaro, uh, Joey Calistri, and FC Tucson's Jordan Jones, who gets a call-up for this match. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about Jordan Jones later in the podcast. Uh, Rob, when you see Kevon Lambert added back in here, what are you expecting from that? Um, I, You know, I well, before he left uh, for international duty, I thought he was playing well. And, uh, you know, easing him back into the lineup, um, I thought he did well with his uh, – two substitute appearances or whatnot, but uh, I was kind of shocked that both him and Musa were in there. Um, 
I know they've been trying to get Kavan up front a little bit more uh, as opposed to last year when he seemed to be a bit, a bit more defensive-minded. But that was my biggest uh, thought in uh, maybe eyebrow, eyebrow raise when I saw the lineup is that they were both in there. Um, but uh, I, I think he's a baller, and, uh, you know, I'm just getting him back into the, the speed of things with the team after being away for so long and, would be the, uh, the key. There. And we have seen Kavan and Musa play – uh, played together, but that was when we were uh, using a different formation. Uh, previously to the formation we're currently using, we've been using a we had been using like a four-two-three-one formation with John or before that Chris Cortez as a point man, um, and then using what uh, Joseph Lowry, uh, rising tact uh, hash, or uh, at rising tactics on Twitter, calls a double pivot. And that double pivot generally included Musa and Fernandez or Lambert and Fernandez. Well, now with Fernandez gone, um, I really didn't know what to make of this formation, given the fact that the team actually put out that this was going to be a 4-3-3. So Lambert really was supposed to be playing more of a wing role like John DeCaro, more of a creator role than the sort of def- defended-minded uh, uh, position that I was that we typically see from him. Dominic, what did you see uh, when, when all that happened? What were you guys talking about? I think the biggest thing is, you know, I've said it before this season, I think Vaccaro might be the most important piece of our team. He's just the engine that makes everything happen. You know, Asante gets all the love, and deservedly so, um, after another goal in this match. But I, I like the idea of rewarding Kavan and Musa because they're both ballers and it's tough to fit either of them, but not at the expense of Bacaro. Um I understand Kivon getting rewarded for a great substitute performance last week, but uh, there was just a little something missing. And the first half, again, the passing accuracy wasn't up to standard. It improved in the second half a little bit. Uh, the other thing, getting Cochran back in the starting lineup, I see the thinking behind it because he had been on the bench for some time, but Los Dos is a very tasty team on counterattacks. And I don't think that Cochran was able to match that speed and get in the right spots on counterattacks. I think he and other players, but most obviously he was unequipped to handle that speed. And there were several times where he got burned. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Definitely hear what you're saying there. Uh, I really don't want to spend a whole bunch of time on the first half. I mean, my feel on the first half was that it, it was very plotting. It was very much kind of what we've been seeing. Um, I don't know if this first half was showing uh, fatigue, team fatigue. We had played an RGV match in tough condition. We played a Tulsa match in tough conditions. It was hot and terribly humid in Phoenix. I can't imagine what training sessions were like. Uh, we haven't had a lot of positional rotation. I don't know if we're starting to see just some fatigue here amongst our players, um, that, that that maybe our stamina isn't quite uh, – well, it's, it's just running out a little bit. And that was my big takeaway from the first half. I mean, we just got ourselves into some serious trouble. Uh, thank God for Zach, Zach Lubin, who just played very, very well, um, had a, a couple really solid chances against him 
in the first half that he came up he either came up really big for or the ball fell off target um Kyle or uh, I'm sorry Kyle uh, Dominic what tell me about your feelings on this first half what what stood out to you what stood out to me is that Los Dos game planned very well for this match and they executed that game plan very well. It was a deviation from the norm for them. Usually, they like to pass the ball around. They like to get at least 55% possession, um, kind of boss the game in that way, and, you know, just uh, grind opposite. I can't speak right now. And grind opponents down with that possession game. Against us, that's not a possibility because we are so good on the ball and so they decided to hit us on counterattacks. They gave us a taste of our own mat- medicine from previous seasons, and it worked. It worked very well. A lot of young guys in that lineup, a lot of speed up the wings, and we were gasping for air in moments. I mean, even the ninth minute, they had a great chance to go up 1-0 early, early in the game, uh, but Zubak missed that chance. He would not miss in the 39th minute, and – Quite frankly, that's a ball where you just expect more from Cochran. You know, just a ball in the box. Cochran should be clearing his lines there, and he just kind of lost it for a second, and Zubak puts it through his legs. I mean, you you really expect better from him in that situation. Um, so just in general, they were really catching us off guard. I don't know if we were prepared for them to be as counterattack dependent as they were, but it worked. It worked really well, and they were putting in great crosses asking a lot of questions. So Ethan Zubak finishes the first half with uh, three shots, one on target uh, against Zach Lubin to score that goal. Also saw a shot by Hernandez as well as Efrain Alvarez, the, the Phoenix rising killer there. Uh, so they had, they, they really did play well. Rob, what was your big takeaway from the first half? Uh, no, I think uh, Dom hit it on the head. Uh, they counterattacked, uh, and, it, and it worked. And I think, uh, you know, that was probably the best strategy for them, considering uh, what Phoenix has done over the course of these uh, 11 games. I mean, uh, you know, you can't, can't beat them, match them, uh, you know, one for one. And I think the counterattack strategy was, uh, was there, and it worked. Uh, like Dom said, our, our guys are getting caught flat-footed, um, getting beat to the balls, and uh, just, yeah, Situational awareness. Uh, I, I think it's Cochran definitely lost sight of that ball, um, which led to Zubac stopping it in Minnesota. Yeah, it, and there was really nothing more indicative of that the first half was just a really rough, a, a, a rough half of play, as a shot chance for uh, Jose Aguinaga in the waning minutes of the first half. Uh, the ball gets played over. Uh, we'll call it from the top of the field uh, over from the right-hand side. He is shielded from from uh, defenders by Adam John. It's simply him, the goalkeeper, who wasn't in a great position and a wide-open goal, and Aguinaga just skies it over the bar. Uh, I tell you, the amount of disappointment and frustration that I felt in that very moment from watching the first half was, um, I mean – I just felt it all the way to my bones when I was when I saw that happen. I was like, "Oh my God, this is just—it's just typical of the night." Um, in terms of the first half, uh, Junior Flemings finishes with with two shots, 
uh, only one on target. Aguinaga skies it with a shot off target. Asante has two opportunities. John has one opportunity. And Lambert with one opportunity. And the only person who even got a shot on target, uh, I'm sorry, there was two on target, one from uh, Junior Fleming's and the other one from uh, from Solomon Asante uh, in the six-yard box. So it was just a really, really rough first half. And I think at this point I'm thinking, all right, we're done. Uh, Rob, Rob and I were discussing it before we started recording. I'm thinking we are just finished. Uh, for the uh, for our our record setting ways here, uh, as we start the second half, and I I did not get into watching until about the fifty fifth or fifty fifth or sixtieth minute. Uh, Dom, tell me what did you see on in terms of this penalty uh, that w- that was called that, that gave Efrain Alvarez a chance to to take LA Galaxy two up two to nothing here. So I had a terrible angle on this because, holy smokes, the stupid bathroom lines at Los Dos are just atrocious. They only have five porta potties um, on the whole, you know, for the whole stadium, and so the bathroom line was like 15 minutes. I was thinking, oh, I'll go towards the end of the half, and the line won't be so bad. I'll miss the beginning halftime rush. So I was talking with Vanderplas, chatting a little bit, talking about if we can come back. I'm thinking, all right, this is going to be like five minutes tops. The, the stupid thing takes almost 15 minutes, so I actually I'm watching what I can see in the line, um, but I didn't get to see that play really well on the replay. It just looked like a pretty clear handball in the box. Maybe the decision to give a yellow card there was harsh, but I don't really have any issue with the penalty called. And then, of course, they get to have Efrain Alvarez take it, who... Uh, just a little bit of backstory here is a LA Galaxy regular, but he was suspended from their MLS match on Saturday. So as I had a feeling they would a few days earlier, they gave him the run with Los Dos. And of course, he just clinically uh, drives it low past Zach Lubin. And at at that point, I was thinking, wow, this really isn't looking like our night. Because prior to that, we were down 1-0, but we were showing good signs. I'm thinking, okay, we can still come back. We're going to score. The question is if we can keep them off the board. But when they made it 2-0, that, that's when I was like, wow, this is this is really an uphill battle. I mean, not that we can't, but wow, I don't know. How many people, uh, how many Fixed fans made the trip, do you think? It was it was a little over 100. Um you know, five minutes before kickoff, it didn't look like a lot, but it ended up being a pretty decent number. And two big fans that made the trip were David Rappaport, which we'll talk about more later, and Pete Wentz. Uh, that was awesome to see. Both of them were there with their families. Uh, both of them were there with the supporters. And Mike Vanderplas even did a debut a chant uh, to the tune of a Fall Out Boy song which was pretty great. Uh, light, light them up, up, up Phoenix Rising. That's pretty great. Uh, so it was, it was a good away support. There was definitely banter in the first half between a couple of our Rowdy supporters and a couple of their Rowdy supporters. So that was pretty fun. That's awesome. It's definitely a trip that, that we would have liked to go on. And uh, a lot of Rob's Red Fury buddies 
uh, Red, the Red Fury actually had a had a van that went out, uh, the the van of Fury. Uh, so that that's really really excellent. Um, so we get to the fifty uh, 58th minute or so, and bet- between the start of the second half and this ne- very next shot, Phoenix Rising has no opportunities, no shots on target, no shots off target, and LA Galaxy just makes a real mess of playing the ball around the back. Um, they get fouled, try a quick start, decide to push that quick start from the midfield to the back line. Solomon Asante uh, on the on the right-hand side moves from right to left, intercepts the ball, uh, just jukes the goalkeeper out of his gloves. Uh, he's on the ground. Asante puts a right foot toward the back post uh, and, and cuts the lead in half at, at, in the 58th minute. Just a beautiful play, beautiful skills. Um, as a keeper, I'm looking and seeing and trying to think, God, what can you even do in that case? It's really a one-on-one situation. Uh, now, Zach Lubin has had, at this point in the, in the match, two one-on-one situations that he came out on the positive for. But the goalkeeper, uh, number 75, uh, um, Eric Lopez, just is made to look stupid there. Absolutely gorgeous goal by Solomon Asante. Rob, what are you feeling after you see this ball head in the back of the net? Uh, it, was, it was pretty uh, amazing. As soon as they uh, they played that quick, even the, the announcers on the seat are going, uh, you know, why why are they playing it quick? Why aren't they trying to slow this down? And, and as soon as they did that, Solomon picks it up, makes a couple of moves, and, yeah, I mean, it was straight up a hockey-style breakaway. I mean, he made the beak, got the goalie to bite, and just went to his right and tapped it in the back of the net. But, uh, you know, at that, I was like, okay, you know, we, we, maybe there's something, you know. And I honestly didn't expect it to, to go the way it did, but uh, – it seemed like uh, the team was like, all right, we can do this. We got one, and it kind of lit a fire on them, and uh, uh, thankfully changed the course of the game. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, um, continuing forward, I just I just want to say a quick thing on this goal. Look back on that replay. That's an incredible first touch by Asante because, great, he steals the ball. It's a dumb ball. No need to play it that quick. But so many times, even if you make the right read there, the first touch is going to fail you because you're sprinting full out to get to that ball. He makes a perfect touch to get it over the defender's foot and still be able to catch up to it and be composed and get past the keeper. I just have to say that that first touch, you cannot teach that. That was incredible. And then he still had work to do. A lot of guys in that situation would panic. But Asante just so composed, and that's Rob is – Totally right. That was exactly what we needed to get back in that match. And I'm not sure if this is the turning point or if the actual turning point comes in the 62nd minute. And nothing spectacular on the field actually happens in that in that 67th minute. Instead, what we see is James Musa come off in favor of John Beccaro. So we're able to then see Beccaro move back to his traditional position. We're able to see Lambert rotate into more more of his natural central midfielder position and now our team the team really is back on the field and i i I don't want to be detrimental to musa but i think playing musa and lambert just did not have the proper chemistry so 
so Becaro is able to come back on the field here and in his uh, in his suave manner uh, contribute to the next goal, which happens in the seventy uh, the seventy fourth minute. Uh, the ball gets played in by Dumbuya. Asante, you know, t- uh, not so typical of Asante. I don't know if he meant to do that or not, uh, or if the ball just came up. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. It was the defender that kicked the ball up. The defender tries to step in front of Asante. The ball comes high, bounces into the center of the, the top of the 18-yard box, uh, kind of falls at the feet of John Beccaro, uh, who, instead of controlling the ball, backheels it to an unmarked Junior Flemings. And Flemings, with all the poise that Jose Aguinaga did not have late in the first half, takes all that poise and puts a ball just really nicely past the goalkeeper to the far post uh, to celebrate his his next goal uh, in the match off of a John Beccaro assist. I kind of saw this develop as it was happening, and I definitely did not expect the heel flick. And when that ball was rolling to Flemings, I'm going, don't screw it up, don't screw it up, don't screw it up, thank the freaking Lord. <laughs> Dom, where were you standing at that point? Were you close to that, close to the action there? Yeah. So a lot of the, a lot of the supporters moved over to the south end for the second half, so that we could support the boys as they were attacking that south goal. And so, yeah, as the, as the play's developing, I'm getting excited. But in lifetime, I didn't see that Bicaro backheeled it. I just thought that maybe the ball, he whiffed on it and it just bounced to Fleming's. Um, but I had a great angle for Fleming's finish, and it's just insane composure to just gently chip the ball over the keeper like that. Every instinct in the world is to just blast it hard and low or to just try to volley it perfectly. I mean, to just have in that split second, I don't need to blast this ball. I just need to just put it on target, take care of business here. That's insane composure in that moment, you know, down a goal late in the match. And just to even have the chance to tie the match, there were a couple crazy plays before that goal. After Vaccaro came on and we made it 2-1, the pace of this match was just electric. This match was just on fire. These teams are going back and forth, wide open. Everything that people love about Western Conference after dark is just amazing. Both teams giving each other their best punches. You know, one of the most wide-open matches I've seen all year, and it was a throwback to our early season matches against San Antonio, New Mexico, where we're getting a breakaway, they're getting a breakaway. It's it's ridiculous that those dose didn't make it 3-1 when Efrain Alvarez had a shot that Farrell thankfully got in the way of after Cochran had a bad giveaway. I mean, but right before that, Kevon Lambert gets saved point-blank range to tie it. So... Just electric, absolutely mesmerizing stuff. I went with my dad, and he said just the quality of play from early in 2018 to this year has improved so much. The product on the field was awesome, and that's someone who hasn't watched USL in over a year. So even casuals are taking notice. Yeah, indeed, indeed, indeed. Um, As we kind of continue to move forward, 
in the 70, 78th minute, we see Jose Aguinaga come on or come off for Joey Calistri. Uh, this is again an interesting switch, and this is the second or third time that Calistri has come in in a midfielder role as opposed uh, uh, switching off with Aguinaga as opposed to switching off in a forward role uh, with Fleming's missing for national team service. Calistri was playing left forward. Well. If he wants playing time, he's going to have to come on in a midfield role, and he does it again, and again, Coach Chance nails his substitutions because Kalistri is the one who made the difference in this match, um, besides for Zach Lubin, but we're going to, we're going to get to some of his stats in a, in a few minutes. Uh, because Kalistri is able to use some poise, he's able to use uh, some calm, I, I don't know what it was, but he wrangles a ball that, that ends up bouncing around the midfield and is able to put a volley, kind of a funky volley, into the back of the net to score the third, the third goal. Uh, Dom, you can probably describe it a little bit better. You've probably been thinking about it all night, how to describe this properly. To me, it just seemed like, like a bouncing ball that, that didn't, know, didn't know where it was going to land. Uh, I'm going to try to go Ray Hodgson on this one, uh, Roy Hodgson on this one, and give it a, uh, a crazy description. This is a magisterial cross by John Beccaro. Los Dos, scrambling like a bunch of flies around a light. They managed to clear the ball, but only partially, where Joey Calistri, the super sub, the supersonic hero Phoenix Rising, intelligently, beautifully drives the ball into the ground, the defenders are screening the goalie, and the ball bounces over the keeper with no chance, and it just drops into the net like thunder falling from the sky. Phoenix rises from the dead to go up 3-2. The, the fans were going nuts. Uh, Christine Lance was uh, had a State of Arizona flag, and she was running up and down the track with that. People were going crazy. Uh, Mike Vanderplas got kicked out of the stadium. He snuck back in with a <laughs> Phoenix this. red shirt. <laughs> he was going nuts. I mean, the Low Stoics fans are just stunned. And t taking it a little more serious again, this is such an intelligent strike because, again, the cojones to just take a minute here, split second, instead of blasting this, hit it low. Because when the ball's bouncing like that, if you're – if you're doing anything but trying to hit it in the ground, that ball is going to be halfway to Mexico. Oh, dude, that 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 um, ball's sailing off into the ocean easily. Yeah. I, Unbelievable. I, I got to tell you, you know, uh, my anniversary was um, uh, was this weekend, and seeing that that ball go in the back of the net was better than any activity that occurs on an anniversary. I got to tell you. Uh, it, it, it was just awesome, and I was so tense the whole time that I finally felt like uh, I was able to relax just a little bit. Uh, Rob, give us your thoughts. I mean, it almost looked like they were playing a game of soccer tennis there, the way he drove that ball into the ground and had it uh, take the high arcing bounce right over the Smash the heads ball and, uh, or whatever that is, yeah. Yeah, whatever they're playing that we see on uh, Twitter all the time. But, uh, I mean, he just drilled it. But uh, it, it's – at that point, I'm you know, I, I, I tell, tell you the truth, I didn't watch the game live. I The second half I ended up watching late. 
later that night and, uh, you know, hoping something would happen because uh, I did see the first half live. But, uh, no, that was crazy. I mean, he just reared back, crushed that thing right into the ground and, and one touch on the ground, perfect arc right over everybody's heads, right in the back of the net. And uh, someone, I'm not sure who it was, it might have been the uh, CW contingent, but they had a beautiful uh, video footage of that shot almost directly behind Kalistri when he nailed, when he hit it. And uh, it, it was pretty great to watch from that angle. Yeah, it was it was a tough, tough, gritty performance. Uh, again, I, I I think coming out of this, we did show a lot more in the second half. I think our passing uh, definitely got a little bit crisper. I think our uh, um, our passing accuracy was again back up against eighty per, uh, above eighty percent. Uh, we were below eighty percent last week. We had. Um, uh, 465 passes on the night, which was even a little bit, well, that's about average for us. Uh, um, 66% accuracy in the, the opponent's half. We did have some really nice exchanges with some good long pieces of possession uh, during the match. Our overall possession actually ended at 59.4%, so we were just about 60% possession for that match. I think we really calmed down. We were able to get things going again in the second half. And then part of it was just flat-out luck. Uh, there's no way that, that this team games plans for the ball to bounce around and come out to Kalistri. And, you know, a lot of this is just game time or just in-game um, experience, knowledge, intuition, whatever you want to call it, uh, flat-out luck. Uh, I think what I said for suggested for rising rising tactics um, uh, the the article that's going to cover you know any any interesting plays is that this is just where luck and physics eat. <laughs> uh, that's why we scored luck and physics is really what it came down to. Dom, what are you, what are your kind of overall thoughts for this this match? Uh. Someone give Lubin goalkeeper of the year right now. I mean, even when it was 2-2, Los Dos was just creating unbelievable opportunities that he saved. They, we had no business being tied in this match we were, this with seven been, minutes This left. should have been like five, like nothing to five at the half. I mean, really almost – they had so many opportunities. But before. I'm saying – even in the second half, even in those last 30 minutes when we were coming back, they still exposed us on those counterattacks. The only difference is that Lubin was just unfreaking believable, and they did miss one or two chances that they could have put on target. But, I, I mean, Lubin was just an animal. They had two or three very clear scoring opportunities after they already had two goals. Yeah, and it's really rare to see a goalkeeper earn um, player of the week, but I'm all about him getting player of the week this week. Uh, um, this win is just on his shoulders entirely in my mind. Uh, Rob, give us your thoughts. Uh, no, I mean, it was crazy. He had, what, at least two one-on-one -on -one breakaways from uh, L L.A., one that he uh, made a clear shave on, one that the, uh, the L.A. attacker chipped over the bar, um, but – between that, uh, you know, fingertip saves here, like, uh, he's he's playing out of his mind. Um, I wasn't thrilled, uh, you know, early in the season when uh, they, they started giving more and more starts to him over Waz, but, uh, 
you know, he's he's definitely proved that uh, you know, that this this is his team, that's his position to lose. He's he's turning it up. He's he's a big reason why we're even close to being twelve and zero right now in the last twelve games. He, I mean, we've I think we've had about three trap games where it was wasn't looking too good, and, and because of him, clearly throwing the team on his shoulders, he, he's made it a, a possibility that uh, you know we can score goals late and uh, you know get that W. But without him, I mean, I, I can see us easily being nine and three, maybe eight and four over those last twelve games. So, yeah, and there was a guy on Reddit, uh, on the Phoenix Rising Reddit, who was saying. You know what's wrong with Waz? He must be injured, and it's like, dude, he's not injured. You got a guy with he's got 11 clean sheets, and he's leading the the Golden Glove race. Like you're not going to replace Zach Lubin for Carl Wazinski at this point, uh, unless something happens to Lubin. This is he won he won the job, but really, I, I agree with you. He really showed why he's the starting keeper at this point. Uh, I'll give honorable mention to Joey Farrell. I don't think the backline played spectacular. Um, Dom even may, might have made mention that AJ Cochran may have looked uh, uh, like he had some edibles or something like that. You, I need you to expand on that because I don't think that you were talking about that he had a pregame snack. Um, but I th- think that Farrell came up huge. He had a great goal line save that was another sa- thing that should have gone in the back of the net. Uh, Farrell ha- got a good step on uh, what looked to be a a 1v1 with Lubin, but Farrell was able to push the uh, LA Galaxy player to the left, and he missed it short post side uh, because because of Farrell's step and, and getting himself back into the play. So I think Joey, Joey Farrell had a pretty good game. I don't know if that's a controversial uh, take at all because the back line may not have looked quite as coordinated as they usually do. Um, Dom, am I missing that? No, I mean, I, you're not the only person that said he played very well last night. Um, as far as honorable mention for man of the match, that might be a little strong, um, especially since he did concede the penalty. I don't know if that shot was going in or not, but was that but off he of did or was that off of crucial. I'm pretty sure that Cochran. was off of Cochran. Yeah, I think it was off of Cochran. No, it was Cochran got hit with the yellow and the in the handball. Oh, no, you're right. Okay, okay, my bad there. My bad there. Um, so, Farrell did have a good game then. I mean, he, obviously, that, that clearance at the goal line was crucial in the 80th minute there, but he was putting his body on the line. He was tracking back to limit opportunities. I mean, he played well. I don't know. I don't know if I would go honorable mention or uh, runner-up for man of the match, but very good performance by him. All right. Any other thoughts about the match you guys want to share? Just, uh, just the, I, uh, I will give oh, a go for it, Rob. I will give a shout out to Joey Farrell. I mean, I don't know if it's, I don't think he was the man of the match, but I don't think it's necessarily a stretch that he could be considered on there. I mean, stats alone, uh, he was credited with two tackles, six clearances, which we already talked about, some key crucial ones three interceptions, and then uh, he was also one of the players above uh, 80% of passing accuracy. So um, I thought he played well. I think uh, each one of our games has been a standout defender. Um, it, you know, I just almost kind of want to see him play three center backs. Uh, it's like, who do you start? I think uh, Cochran, you know, shake the rest off him, and he's going to be back to form. And I mean, he's a, a sniper when it comes to the, the pat long passes out of the backfield. So I, I think we're in a good place. And I think, like I said, uh, 
getting them back in form, shaking the rust off, and uh, we'll, we'll be good to go, I think, and, uh, for the rest of the season in the playoff run. All right. And if I remember correctly, he lost the starting job, or Cochran did, just because of an injury. Um, I think he was sick. But, I mean, since – yeah. And since that happened, Mala was just so good, you couldn't you couldn't take him out. But um, is this will be a point maybe later in the episode – is Farrell and Mala the, the top center back pairing? Because based off of last night, that seems pretty obvious. I know Cochran is an amazing player, and he's been so, so solid prior to this match all year. Um, but the way Mala's been playing, what do we do in the month of August with some crucial matches coming up? It, it's worth talking about, but for this moment, I want to focus on just the unbelievable energy and heart that this team showed yet again, down 0-2. I mean, most teams on the road are just thinking, ah, oh, that's there's no hope here. But everyone finds a way. Everyone chips in. Vaccaro makes it so clear that he needs to be starting every single week. Um, his family comes out from London to watch him, and he's on the bench for 60 minutes. How are you going to do a guy dirty like that? Um, but – he comes in and he makes such an immediate difference and everyone just plays so hard. I mean, Asante pressing to get that ball off the quick free kick. I mean, it's, if I had to think of this game, it would be like, it'd be like a, a football game where your team is losing, like kind of like ASU coming back against U of A last year in the territorial cup. We were playing like ASU was playing for most of that match. Just, kind of half, half-assing half it, we're clearly second best, but then just a couple breaks go our way, they make a couple mistakes, we take advantage, and all of a sudden, we're on top, you know, it was just, it was so crazy, but even during the comeback, you know, Los, Los had amazing opportunities, and just a couple crucial uh, plays by us kept us in the match. That's probably the best analogy I could make. Yeah, it makes a lot of Because we were really hanging on for dear life up until we got ahead in this match. Yeah, we really haven't had a match like this since uh, since we played our, um I was going to say RSL, since we played Real Monarchs uh, earlier in the uh, <clears throat> earlier in the season. That was a real nail biter. We had to come back a couple times. I mean, that, that was that was a really tough match too. So we'll have to see, you know, what what sort of happens as as we have El Paso coming in, and we'll talk about that, uh, the El Paso match in in, in uh, just a couple minutes here. Uh, not much going on in terms of team news. Uh, we do have, uh, we did have a call up for this particular match. That was FC Tucson's Jordan Jones. Uh, this call up, I, I don't know that they ever anticipated that he was actually going to play, uh, but Jones has been playing very, very well for FC Tucson. He's played 959 minutes, has three goals, two assists, and, and he is up for player of the uh, player of the month for League One. So if you have a chance to check out that League One webpage for FC Tucson, and you can click the link to actually vote for, uh, for Jordan Jones as player of the month for FC Tucson. Uh, we'll have to see if he ends up you know, still hanging out, or if we're, we'll just keep trading Will or Amyenu, uh coming up back and forth. Uh, Dom, we have maybe some other team, not that I wouldn't necessarily call it team news, but team discussion. 
that happened while you were out in uh, um, out in LA. Why don't you fill us in a little bit? Yeah, so it's it's a really cool experience. Um, obviously, low dose is not the best away experience in this league. I mean, quite frankly, it looks like a high school stadium and is a high school stadium. Um, but because there are fewer people there, it's more of an informal setting and you have easy access to the general manager and part owners and you get to hear everything that's going on on the pitch. So it's kind of cool in that way. You hear, so you hear like I, everything that Coach Chance says, which is colorful <laughs> on the feed anyway. Yes. Definitely. Um, and so part of that is I get in and I see Monica McPherson right away. I say hi, and there's she's talking with a couple people, and one of them happens to be Dave Rappaport. And I just say, hey, you know, introduce myself, because we were talking about uh, maybe chatting a little bit at this match, and he graciously gave me 20 minutes of his time before it started. And we just we just got to talking about uh, the rising ownership, a little bit about what's going on with the MLS bid, since it is, quote-unquote, the question on everyone's mind. Um, I forgot to ask him about stadium expansion, so apologies there. And to be clear, this was an off-the-record conversation, so I can't, I can't give you word for word what happened. I can't go too in-depth. But anyone who thinks that the owners are not fully invested uh, and fully committed to this enterprise are sorely mistaken. David had so much knowledge to share. He had so many opinions on uh, Phoenix Rising's MLS bid, on what the vision is, on whether there's a relationship with Garber or not. And what I came away from that thinking is it really doesn't matter that much whether we get in in the next couple years or five years or ten years down the line. And here's why, essentially. This is what he was explaining, is that the expansion fees are necessary uh, for MLS to be making money. The expansion fees, you know, without those fees, the teams are losing money. All the franchisees are losing money in the enterprise, and so they have to keep expanding to be profitable. And so there's no reason to think that MLS is actually going to cap it at 30 or even 32. But he theorizes, and who knows if this could happen. I would be super fascinated. He theorizes that if there are enough teams in MLS, they could consider doing internal pro-rel. And that's that's something that's at least a decade off. I mean, we, we can't get too hyped up about that. But if MLS continues to expand, it's something that could be there down the horizon. And so it is frustrating to say as fans, look, like we want to be in MLS now. We think we could beat these MLS teams right now where we might actually have to wait 10 years because Garver is just going to go for whoever satisfies his ego right in this moment. But eventually we're going to get in is essentially what his point seemed to be. And it's because, like, MLS is just going to need to keep getting these expansion fees. And so, you know, if you've got a lot of years left on this earth, then we don't need to worry too much because, okay, maybe it's 2022, maybe it's 2030. But it's probably going to happen eventually. 
And in the meantime, you try to play great soccer at the highest level possible. Right now, it appears that USL is the highest level possible. And so that's what they do. And they, they go out and they get great players. Um, they go out and they scout. Um, but he said that the ownership group is very committed to that. One other fascinating tidbit that I don't think is giving up too much information. We haven't heard anything about Alex Dung since he was announced as our billionaire owner. He apparently is super involved in weekly ownership conference calls. Apparently, he is actually on the line with the other members of the ownership group every single week for three hours. So no one goes say, this is an ownership group that's disinterested, that they're not pushing forward for this. They are very engaged. And even at the very top, you know, some people come into clubs with money and they don't really do anything. I'm looking at you, Mike Ashley, jerk. But this ownership group is very committed and they're in this for the long haul. And I think that's something that, Aaron, I know you've been worried about in the past is what happens if it takes a few years. Are they gonna, are they gonna tail off? But based off of those comments and what I saw with Pete Wentz being there too last night, it really does seem like they are in this for the long haul. Yeah, and a lot of that is really great news. Uh, there's there's so much about this that, um, you know, you, you come into an investment and you say, well, the, the goal is to get here, and the goal is to get here within a specific amount of time. And if it doesn't get here within a specific amount of time, then I'm just going to cut my losses, and I'm going to go off to, to go do something else. And, and, and you know, that, that'll just be the way it is. It sounds to me, from what you're saying, is that, you know, these guys know, they understand it, they have a level of patience that I think very few of, of the rest of us actually have. And and I think that some of it really comes down to the fact that, you know, the, the three of us and so many, well, the three of us and just about every other person who actually listens to us, I mean, let, let, let's be real here, if you're listening to us, you're probably a super fan. Uh, you are probably an evangelist for this club, and you're out there talking to people about Phoenix Rising. Uh, I just came back from my synagogue, and somebody said, uh, "said Oh, I caught some of the game." You know, or you know, were you there? He didn't realize it was it wasn't a, a home game, but it was on it. He had it on in like the background, um, and he's like, "Oh, were you there?" I said, "Oh, no, no, I didn't. You know, I didn't travel to go out to the game." People know us as your hosts. People know you as the listeners, as Phoenix Rising fans, because you're the evangelists for this sport. And and at some point if we at some point those people that you're talking to are gonna go, Well, aren't we in the MLS or why aren't we in the MLS? Or when are we going to be in the MLS? Or MLS MLS or MLS MLS MLS. You know, and it's like, okay guys, screw those dudes like this is great entertaining ball and it doesn't matter if we're MLS in a stadium that fits 20,000 or if we're selling out 6,500 every single time, uh, come be part of this that we have now and be part of whatever it ends up turning to. And if it takes some time, it'll take some time. But there can be fatigue that happens because after three years, after four years, after five years, after six years of all of your friends asking you, well, dude, we must really suck because we're not in MLS. Or MLS really must hate us, or Don Garber must really hate us, or we must have a crappy ownership group. And after you know this, after a bunch of time of having to de to defend ourselves 
as a team, team as, a, as supporters, as ultras, as whatever you want to call us, uh, I, I'm worried that this is going to wear us down. So we just, you know, we have to continue to be diligent and, and love our guys for who they are, love our front office for who they are, um, love our security guards for who they are. Like everything within the fence at, at uh, Casino Arizona Field, we we just need to continue to love. Um, all right, Rob, I will step off of my uh, my soapbox and let you on. Any thoughts? Uh, no, I mean, my only concern is it's got to cost money to keep putting these rosters out on the field, uh, you know, year, year after year, um, what they're doing. But, uh, you know, part of me thinking, you know, is that, is that well going to dry up after a few years if, if there's no headway? Uh, I think the ownership group clearly wants – uh, MLS. I'm not sure if we're going to get there without some uh, some of that Bedwell NFL money. Uh, just my opinion, but uh, looking around the league, that's that seems to be the the name of the game. Garber likes his NFL owners, um, but uh, no, it's great to hear that Alex Singh is uh, uh, involved. You know, at at the, the the lowest levels or highest levels, however you want to say it, uh, and not just a, a name on paper that to provide a, a healthy bank account if needed, should we get the call, but. Um, you know, I, I, I want MLS. I mean, why, why wouldn't you want your team playing at the highest level of soccer they could? But then at the same time, I, I like what's going on in the USL. I love the banter between the fans, um, the relaxed atmosphere, uh, re- relaxed, uh, I guess, I don't know, restrictions. Because uh, it's going to be different, you know, uh, once we do go to MLS, things will change, unfortunately. Um, but, uh, you know, either way, I'm, I'm happy, but, uh, I, I definitely want to see the club move forward in, in that direction. So, yeah, there, there is a certain amount of that casual, uh, that casual, more casual feeling, that accessibility that when we host spring training, uh, for, for major league baseball, that everybody just loves, uh, that accessibility, uh, during spring training, and, and we get that accessibility year-round as part of our professional club. So uh, I, I, I think you're right on. I think that that's a really big deal. Um, of course, there isn't a lot of consistency league-wide. That's actually the reason why Mike, Mike Vanderplas got kicked out or one of the reasons he got kicked out because he popped smoke, and you're not allowed to have smoke uh, pop smoke at, uh, at StubHub Field. So he got bounced because he was uh, celebrating uh, celebrating the game a bit too much with that smoke. Um but, you know, there's some relationship that we're able to have with guys like Heber or give good intimate feedback to Kelsey in the ticket office um, and, and have guys actually pay attention to what we're saying. So um, that's all I have for that. It, I just want to make one other interesting point, um, and this is something else that David brought up. With the club being in USL, he says that if you can run the club well and if you're profitable, like, you know, a well-run club has the chance to be more profitable because you have full ownership as opposed to just being a franchisee in the MLS chain and you have more control of the business operations. So there actually are some advantages to being in USL in addition to the soft stuff that us fans love, like great accessibility, um, the ability to pop smoke, those kinds of things. And so, it's just it's it's an interesting takeaway that the ownership doesn't seem to be sweating it too much one way or the other um and that they i think if they aren't sweating it too much and they are truly in this for the long haul then 
we don't need to worry so much. I, I understand Ghost of Luke, Luke Rooney, whoever you are listening to this. I understand it's frustrating to see St. Louis and Charlotte and Austin and even Nashville leapfrog us. Of course that's frustrating because if we're in MLS, this group is going to put its best foot forward and try to win from day one. And we're going to do a better job than some of these expansion franchises. See <clears throat> Cincinnati. Um, but it doesn't matter because we are going to keep this up. We're going to keep dominating in USL. And the commitment isn't going to wane in a year or two years or five years. And I think that's a concern that people have had. But I feel a lot more confident in, you know, just – let bygones be got bygones. Let's see what happens. I have faith that this ownership group cares and will do what it takes. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully there isn't any tragedy like the El Paso shooting happening anytime soon. And I have a lot of years left on this earth. And maybe 15 years, 10 years down the road, we'll get to see an MLS team. But in the meantime, let's enjoy what we got. There's, there's no need to rush. The journey can be beautiful. And with expansion franchises, uh, close an, another close expansion franchise coming in uh, in San Diego, and USL continuing to do things that are that are good for the league, whether it's relegating two teams or you know picking up more expansion squads. This USL, uh, the, the, this league seems to know what the hell they're doing. And uh, um, Edwards, the uh, the CEO or chairperson, I don't know what his what his title is. Uh, Edwards really seems to have a, a vision for what this league is supposed to be. So um, that that brings us on to a little bit of league news. Um, I don't see anything really heavy on the league or in terms of league news other than um, that the El Paso match was uh, postponed in, uh, as, as the result of the tragedy that occurred out there. Um, there is... It, it's not really USL League League news, but USL did announce more of the format for their academy tournament, um, which is going to be interesting. Uh, they're going to actually have two-tier, uh, two-tier academy-style tournament, looking to try to keep more of, more of American talent in their home clubs, home states, and, and playing for their uh, their home USL squads. Try and keep that talent developing. Uh, and improving the game, so that that's really great. Um, it's called it's the the Boys Development Academy. They're going to have uh, 44 clubs uh, in, within a, a division, like a U19 division, uh, which is a lot of clubs, and it's going to be a, a pretty neat, uh, pretty neat deal, pretty neat deal going on. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much it from the league news. I did have a question for discussion that that I think is really relevant to the match that we just saw, and that relates to what we want USL to actually do about what really looks to be a problem here, is that should USL be uh, holding MLS suspensions if, a, if an MLS uh, first division player get suspended at the MLS level, should that suspension carry forward to USL? It's a different league. It's a different competition. The USL has its own competition rules. 
but we've now seen this twice, I think, this season. Um, uh, USL has seen it twice this season with players being sent down to their two teams after they're on either a red card or a yellow card accumulation penalty. Most recently here, we saw Efrain Alvarez play on LA Galaxy 2 uh, when he was suspended for LA Galaxy's main club. I don't find that this to be a fair practice. I don't think it's appropriate. A player has a has an issue that, that gets them suspended. They should stay, stay suspended. The team, on the whole, should continue that suspension. Uh, I don't see that it, that it's fair in any way, shape, or form, and I don't think that it's right for the player. You know, maybe a player who who gets a two or three game suspension for a bad tackle, bad yellow card, improper performance, or uh, something dangerous that occurs, uh, maybe touching or pushing a referee, they shouldn't be allowed to get sent down to USL and play for a USL squad so that they can continue their playing time. They should be sitting on their ass at home, and that's what would happen in any other league. Uh, it just doesn't make sense to me, uh, Rob. Why don't you go for go first? Because I think Dom's going to be fiery on that on this. No, I mean I, I agree. I, I mean obviously there's a partnership there. I think if you're going to allow the the unlimited transfers back and forth between the teams um, when they're when they're cycling people in and out for playing time, uh, indirect uh, benefits from you know the the Garber Bucks for uh, MLS teams in waiting, um, signing MLS deals, to, uh, you know, on the cheap uh, for from allocation money and then allowing them to play in USL. I mean, I think it's only fair. I mean, if, they, if they're suspended at the MLS level, I mean, I, I think they definitely should uphold that suspension in the, the USL level. Because, yeah, I mean, I think it was last week with Espria out of Portland, and then uh, you saw the writing on the wall with it. Alvarez was uh, – uh, sent off in the MLS match, uh, you can almost guarantee uh, and, and suspect that he was going to be uh, seeing time in the USL. So, but uh, it's it, it's like uh, even even earlier in the season, I think it was uh, Seattle when they destroyed Sacramento because they brought down half the MLS reserves there, uh, Roman Torres and, and a whole bunch of other guys that uh, get regular minutes up at the the top league. But uh, it, it's they, I think they got to do something. I, I think their intentions are good. Um, relegating all the the two teams down to, to League Two. However, I think that uh, presents its own problems because I don't think Red Bulls Two would ever lose a game if that happens. Uh, I mean, there, there's some that are just too strong. I think to to send them down there. But uh, I mean, that's that's pretty much my my thoughts in a nutshell. You know, if if you're gonna let them do one thing, you know, make it all or nothing. Don't don't pick and choose the the parts of, of the MLS teams you care. If they're suspended, you know, they should be suspended. So, Dom, go ahead. This is actually something I feel more strongly about than the Seattle-Sacramento game that took everything by storm earlier this season. Because with that, yes, it, it stinks if you happen to be the victim of, you know, a team choosing to bring its players down for that USL match. But technically they are the, the property of the MLS team. If the MLS team thinks that it'll help their development to bring them down, I mean, it's tough, like, that you have to play in there, but tough luck like I, I don't I don't see that as much of an issue this affects me more because you're not actually punishing the guy who deserves a suspension or in theory you know there's a reason that he's getting a suspension and you're allowing him to go run out and dominate it doesn't doesn't feel right it just feels like uh if you're gonna if you're gonna say that a suspension is a real thing and it's a real punishment. 
you got to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. And, you know, Asprea getting to play the day after he uh, earned a suspension for Timbers, I mean, that's ridiculous. And then same here with Alvarez getting to dynamically improve uh, lowest doses chances. Maybe it's a sign, though, that MLS teams respect us and maybe that Tacoma respected Sacramento by bringing those guys down. Because I feel like these teams aren't bringing guys down against absolute bottom feeder teams. I don't see RGV bringing down five guys against Tulsa, put it that way. If I am down in the valley, you can correct me. But these seem to be a bigger deal when they're against teams that are legit. So maybe it only happens against the bigger teams because it's a sign of respect. They want these guys to get quality competition. But when the guy's suspended, he's suspended. It's, it's ridiculous that they are allowed to play. Well, speaking of suspensions, <clears throat> we should move move on to cover uh, uh, USL scores. Uh, maybe we can do it kind of quickly. Um, Dom is usually one one thing. One thing that is kind of a cool league note is um, Tulsa actually got a new owner, um, J.W. Kraft, a coal magnate, bought the Tulsa Roughnecks. Um, they were previously owned by an out-of-state owner from North Carolina, a drillers group. Um, and I think that this owner is pretty invested in sports. From what I've heard, people in Tulsa are pretty excited about this. Perhaps they will spend a little more money on the squad and try to be more competitive in the years to come. Well done. I, I, I had totally forgot too. about that transaction. And, yeah, people are saying a lot of good things about this guy, uh, that he is a Tulsa dude. And, and uh, um, not only that, uh, he's kind of cleaned house in terms of ownership and management, and it all's happening happening kind of mid-season here. Um, and somebody also did mention that he has a net worth of $1.4 billion dollars. So, you know, is this an MLS to TUL situation? Uh, continues to uh, continues to, to make things kind of interesting for, for any potential rising bid. Uh, so let's, let's move on uh, to scores um, uh, for this week. First, first set of scores, we have Fresno, uh, who beats Las Vegas Lights 2-1. Uh, to one. Las Vegas Lights continues a uh, um, to uh, rack up red cards, and they played a good chunk of this match with 10 men after just a really, really horrendous uh, slide tackle, studs up slide tackle. Um, two guys going going uh, going in with the Fresno player getting the wrong side of it. Uh, New Mexico United looks to be. Re- Starting to regain some form, but they end up tying with Austin Bold two to two. That's great news for us. Uh, Kevon Freider did have a goal in that match as well uh, in the 63rd minute. So good on him. Good on Austin for tying them up and splitting one point instead of giving either of those teams uh, three points. OKC Energy and Tulsa Roughnecks also tied up one one. San Antonio FC. Uh, loses to Sacramento Republic 2-3. to three. Uh, Republic trying to make their way back uh, back into some relevancy here. RGV loses to Reno 
one to two in, in uh, Edinburgh. And that's pretty much that for the Western Conference. Uh, Dom, did you catch any highlights? Did you see anything that stood out from any of our Western Conference matches? Um, nothing to – oh, did you mention the Fresno-Las Vegas score? Yes. Yeah, that's what we started. Okay. Yeah, the the I saw the highlights for that match, and Jaime Chavez had a break in this match, and the first goal was an absolute banger. Probably USL goal of the week. He just – it was a cool counterattack. And he got the ball in some space, and he just took a few steps, lined it up, and just ripped it off the top crossbar from about 25 yards out. That was really cool. Um, and, of course, the banter is funny because Vegas gets another red card. But one result that pops out a little bit is OKC Energy only getting a 1-1 home draw with Tulsa. Not only that, they only have um, – they pick up a red card in the 64th minute. They only have four shots and two on target in this match. That's This team doesn't get a lot of shots for whatever reason, but that's just really weird. You would expect a lot better from OKC, and uh, maybe I hyped them up a little too much in preseason because they're just – they have not been on good form lately. Well, they opened the season really well, but, you know, just like Tulsa. I mean, Tulsa opened the season, and uh, they were – they were in the top of the league for the first five or six games, uh, or uh, I think four games. Um, and then it's just been, you know, a, a free fall to the bottom. Um, but, boy, that New Mexico-Austin result is a really, really nice result for us. Uh, we'll run through the standings here. Phoenix Rising at the top of the standings with 47 points, uh, 21 games played. Reno with 44 points, two games at hand on Phoenix. Uh, so they are definitely farther behind than you would expect, uh, but still playing well. Uh, they're they're uh, uh, four four and one in their last five. Fresno also four and one in their last five with 40 points. So Fresno, with the same amount of games played, has 40 points. They're seven games back of Phoenix Rising. Then things start to drop off here. Austin Bold and New Mexico United both with 22 games played, both stuck at 33. Real Monarchs, uh, I don't know if they're starting to struggle back again or not, but they did pick up, uh, they had, do have a win in their last game. 20 games played at 31 points, sitting sixth in the conference. They're followed by Sacramento Republic and OKC, both with 30 points. Then El Paso and LA Galaxy, both with 29 points. That rounds out, uh, out your top 10, your playoff teams. Just below the mark, a free-falling Portland Timbers, two, who are 0-4-1 in their past five matches. I don't know what's going on with Portland Timbers, two. Uh, they they started out so much better. They ended last season so much better than they've been playing. Uh, but they're sitting at 7-7-7 seven, seven, and seven right now uh, in, uh, in 21 games played. San Antonio has been showing a little bit better form, except for their loss last night. Uh, they're in 12th in Orange County Soccer Club, also in 13th, San Antonio and Orange County, both at 27 points. Um, so that's your Western Conference standings for this week. Um, we'll have to see how things go. El Paso Locomotive, as early as just a couple weeks ago, was in second or third position in the conference. Now they're sitting at ninth before they come into Phoenix here. 
Dom, tell us what are your thoughts as we prepare for El Paso, ninth in the conference, sitting on 29 points. I would expect another tough match. Um, they're going to be playing with a chip on their shoulders coming off the shooting and, and wanting to really play for the entire city and the entire region. So um, I would expect an extremely inspired performance. And we're going to be pushed to the limit. Um, I would not expect to see the El Paso team that struggled the last few weeks with no wins in almost a month, I would expect to see a team that's going out there to make a statement. And so we're going to have to really, really come at them hard to continue this streak. One other note, the Four Corners Cup had another match with Monarchs beating Colorado Springs. And what that does is it temporarily has Real Monarchs at the top of the Four Corners Cup standing with nine points. However, they only have one match left against us towards the end of the season. And it still it still will likely come down to that New Mexico hosting us on September 28th. Um, if we can get a draw in that match, we'll control our destiny on October 12th in that match against Monarchs. If New Mexico beats us in that match, it will probably clinch the Four Corners Cup. So that's that's what's looking like right now. We control our own destiny, but for the moment, it's Real Monarchs atop that with nine points thanks to a very late winner against Colorado Springs. And part of the reason why um, El Paso has been in such poor form is that player, the USL Player of the Month for the month of May, uh, Jerome Kieswetter, has not been uh, has not appeared in a match uh, since July sixth. Uh, he is their goals leader with 10 goals. Has has I think he's been dealing with a with a, uh, a nagging injury. I don't know if he's going to be ready for this match. Uh, Rob, what are your thoughts as we welcome the uh, locomotive? Uh, you know, I, I mean, we're going to have to lose eventually. I, I don't I don't think we're going to run the table, but uh, I think uh, El Paso will. Uh, you know, be playing for something other than just three points in this match. And uh, they do have uh, Belasco's now. I, I think they're getting better. Um, I, I think they're turning in the right direction. So um, hopefully uh, we can use our, our home field advantage. Uh, you know, the fans is a, the 12th fan out in the field and uh, take care of business. But I definitely think it's going to be a not an easy uh, – they're not going to just uh, walk over and let us get to 13. So, yeah, like I said, uh, you know, it's – like any tragedy that's ever happened, uh, you know, people rally around that. And I think they're going to be playing with a little something extra. So, yeah, the team is 0-4 and three in their last uh, in their last since their last win, uh, which was and they've only scored two goals in that stretch. Yeah, yeah, 0-4 and three since uh, since June 22nd. Um, they had two. They had three wins in a, in a row prior to that. But again, all of in all of those matches, or in in those all of those wins, they were featuring uh, Jerome Keysweater, who's a former U.S. national team player. So, uh, without him, this this team is, seems rather aimless. Uh, I don't think you know. I, I don't think that our atmosphere is going to do anything to intimidate them. They're regularly pulling on their home matches, six thousand plus. So they're used to the noise, uh, the noise that we're able to bring. Uh, they just played in front of New Mexico, who's 13,000 fans. 
and, and they, they unfortunately lost. Well, I don't want to say unfortunately, but they did lose lose three uh, nil um, in that particular match. So, uh, I'll say unfortunately. Well, I, I like our El Paso Bros. Well, uh, unfortunately, because it would be nice for them to beat New Mexico, that would have been better for us. Uh, so, just to keep an eye out on the field, Omar Salgado, Sebastian Contreras, uh, Derek Gephardt, Calvin Renzende, and Edson uh, Partida all have two goals for uh, for El Paso. So, th- so aside from Keith Wetter, they do have some, some guys who can score goals. It's a pretty even distribution across their front and back lines. Uh, their, ma- their main assist leaders are Omar Salgado and Sebastian Contreras. Uh, uh, Salgado playing forward, Contreras playing midfield. Uh, the Argentinian uh, picking up a, a lot of – both of those players have 21 appearances. Uh, Salgado started all 21 matches with Contreras starting 18. So – uh, we should see a pretty should be able to pick out their starting lineup pretty easily. The only real question is when is is Keith going to be able to make it back in the lineup? And I I don't know. I'd have to look up some El Paso stuff and see if he's planning to return. I think I think even with him in the lineup, we'll be able to get a win. But I would expect it to be a two-one. Tough match probably will come down to the second half again. Yeah, I think I don't know. I, I think we're, we can get back to a clean sh- our, our clean feet ways at home. Um, a little more control about how the field is going to play, knowing what speed of the ball is going to be over the grass. Uh, but my biggest concern for this match is how's our stamina? You know, do we need to have some more rotation going on? especially as we're still in this this really oppressive period of heat here in Phoenix. Uh, Rob, what's your biggest concern? Uh, you know, I just think uh, I think we saw it in the first half, uh, getting a little complacency. So I just hope they get their, their heads on the shoulders, and I'm assuming Rick Chance is going to take care of that. Uh, but uh, just not take the, uh, everything for granted. You're going to play every game uh, with a purpose. So... I think that that's uh, that's a great way to say it. You know, is just make sure that what we don't do, what ASU does, since we did discuss the ASU earlier in the, in the the podcast, we don't do what ASU does, which is play to the level of your opponents. Uh, I, I think we have a chance to be to be fine in this, but um, you know, it's going to be an emotional game. Uh, are there going to be El Paso fans that are going to uh, travel and then? You know, you got to show some reverence and respect in, in, in that case. Um, are our fans going to take it a little bit easier on them? Uh, there are definitely some chants that I know that typically come out of the supporter section that need to be buttoned up and stored for a, a later date. Um, what's the feel of this match going to be? It's going to be an emotional one, I, I think. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Dom, uh, final thoughts before uh, we uh, we say goodbye for another week. Uh, just again, another. What can we say that hasn't been said? I mean, this is twelve games now. We're starting to build some insurance on this streak. You know, the Timbers one and the Los Dos match yesterday are the two that stick out 
just as far as pure heart, you know, pure laying it all on the line, not quitting till the final whistle, and just magical finishes. A team, even on an off night, even on a match that's not their best, they just find a way to keep going and get it done with drama, with passion, with heart. You know, it it, it really is a match where if you're one of the lucky few that was able to travel, it's going to be a memory that sticks with you for a long time. Uh, just like the, you know, maybe the 2017 OKC or the late Timbers 2 winner, uh, courtesy of the Dia gang himself. Even more than the Beer Knights, because the Beer Knights are great, but, you know, we're we're kicking teams, you know, we're kicking their rears so bad in those matches. It's just not, it's almost too easy. I love these comebacks. I love these ones where it's all on the line and, Man, it's unbelievable stuff. Rob. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, like Dom said, it, it, it's unbelievable. It, 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 there's a little sense that we're playing down to some of the opponents, but then when we play the teams at the, at the top of half the league, you get a 6 nothing win against uh, an Austin. But, uh, you know, we got the top set of games coming up. There's almost not quite back-to-back uh Dollar Beer Nights, um, you know, the first one being against uh, Reno, so that should be a good one. Um, but uh, there's a lot of good games at the end of the season. I think uh, if we can uh, come out on top, win a majority of those, I, I think confidence will be high going into the playoffs, and we can uh, hopefully keep that uh, lead on the Supporter Shield and, and have that USL Cup go through uh, Phoenix. I mean, that'd be something special. I know uh, a lot of people weren't able to get out to uh, Louisville last year because of Buying, uh, you know, tickets to the, the heartland of America on four or five days notice, it gets quite pricey. But uh, can you just imagine a, a USL final championship match in Phoenix, you know, us against whoever, Tampa Bay? Yeah, I mean, it, it'd be something special. It'd be amazing. So hopefully, they, like I said, they can uh, just keep the, uh, the confidence going, uh, keep their heads on their shoulders, and, uh, you know, carry the, the momentum of the season in the playoffs. And then and finally, uh, you know, proceed till the end and, and, and do what, uh, you know, last year's uh, squad came up short doing. For sure. So uh, just a reminder, Phoenix Rising fans, as this weekend comes up, uh, as our match against El Paso comes up, keep it classy. Uh, we love our all of our soccer, soccer uh, friends no matter what. Um, when we're on the field, we want to give them hell. But Let's uh, make sure that we keep it classy, Phoenix, as as we welcome the morning El Paso locomotive into our into our town this week, um, and celebrate this dozen wins, celebrate all week long, uh, celebrate with your friends, celebrate with your family, and uh, uh, but make sure that we're 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 keeping things on the proper level uh, when the gates open on Saturday. Uh, that's it for me. That's it for Dominic Kearns, future lawyer and savior of the planet. And uh, for Rob Ashpole, I'm Aaron Blau. Uh, we are the Risings One Podcast. Thank you for joining us this week. We thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Uh, Rising. The Risings One Podcast is sponsored by the Arizona Sports Complex, home of the North Phoenix Soccer League. Summer Futsal, Box Lacrosse League, and Summer High School Advanced League. 
please visit the Arizona Sports Complex and tell them the Risings One podcast sent you. This episode is brought to you by Roughneck Scarves and Golden Gold Press. Thanks to our sponsor, Golden Gold Press, the best choice for you to get custom shirts, hats, mugs, and other items just yourself and your organization. Check out their amazing products at a fraction of the price from other places at goldengoldpress.com. Also, thanks to Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Thanks also to the Beautiful Game Network and all the other excellent podcasts that you can find covering soccer and all things USL. USL.